When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not personal. That's the word of the day. That's the phrase of the day. It's perfect. It's not personal. Spoken by Pete Alonzo. Today is August 31st, the final day of August 2023. Pete Alonzo is a player for the Mets who have had an amazing season, totally outperformed preseason expectations, gotten help from so many different areas, great pitching, great hitting, a good bullpen. Diaz has been terrific. Scherzer and Verlander, outstanding. Pete Alonso has been his usual self. He'll hit 40 home runs, drive in 100. Yet all the talk is about Pete Alonso and how he possibly was going to be traded and how the Brewers almost got him at the trade deadline. There's so many iterations of trades that happened around the trade deadline. You send packages to different teams. Alonzo was in a package to five teams, I bet, minimum. And another five or 10 teams called about Alonzo, minimum. But you leak the one about the Brewers, and sometimes, sometimes leaks are right, depending on who's doing the leaking and why. The leak of the Jose Fernandez trade to the Diamondbacks, that ended up being right, and then confirmed by me after the fact, years after the fact. We don't know whether Pete Alonso's trade to Milwaukee was happening or not, but the Mets have a problem. When you have a player that is a year away from free agency but not signed to a guaranteed contract as of yet, the Mets have one more year with Alonso, and they can go to arbitration with him, or they can sign him to a long-term contract that includes his last year of arbitration, or they can non-tender him which is at the tender deadline in December, you non-tender a player, not gonna happen, don't worry, and that player is off your roster and he's done. Or you can trade him. All of those things are possible. Pete Alonso in arbitration in his final year is not Shohei Otani who made $30 million in his last year of arbitration, that's what he's making this year. Mookie Betts was somewhere in the 20s. It is likely that Pete Alonso will be somewhere in the low 20s. 21, 22, I think he's at 14 this year. When the Mets are looking at their payroll and allocating their payroll, when Steve Cohn looks at his briefcase and figures out how much money he wants to lose in year four of his five-year quest to win a World Series, in year four of his five-year tax break amortization, is there a scenario where not having Pete Alonso makes your team better? That is the question that David Stearns will have to answer. But what fascinated me about this story, two things that have happened. One, Pete Alonzo gave an interview to Fox Sports and was outstanding. He said, of course, trade rumors are gonna pop up. But from a front office standpoint, 
Billy has to do his job. He has to focus on the team. My job is to play the best I can for the team. I'm a piece of the puzzle. I'm part of the machine. He has to answer the phone. It's not personal. That's fantastic. You can't script a player to react after a deadline when his team is absolutely horrific, when he's basically LMS, last man standing, meeting the media, trying to figure it all out. Plus, rumors have come out that there was a toxic clubhouse, Scherzer, Verlander, but Scherzer said, no, I love Verlander and he's full of crap. They don't, but let's just say they do, but they don't. And let's say the clubhouse wasn't toxic, which it was. And let's say that Pete Alonso wasn't a part of it, which I've never heard that he is. Yet there was talk that maybe Pete Alonso was an issue inside the clubhouse. And that has made its way around media circles and therefore it's made its way around social media and therefore you've heard it. On this show, maybe even. So the Mets players have decided that they've got a plan. And I love it when players act like Hannibal. Side note, remember we reviewed BS High yesterday with Roy Johnson? I wanna just make sure that we are on the record that his use in that documentary of his love of Hannibal and the A-team and loving it when a plan comes together is so offensive to those of us who love A-team and love it when a plan comes together that he's not allowed at all to appropriate the A-team or Hannibal. But when players come up with a plan to try to be the GM of a team, it's one of my favorite things. Whether it's the NBA and LeBron James, whether it is Major League Baseball players thinking that they know, they'll come whisper in your ear, hey David, we gotta get pitching, do you know this guy? We gotta get him. Oh, he's represented by your agent, that's funny. So word came out yesterday that players plan to have a meeting with Steve Cohn to tell them how badly they want to play with Pete Alonso next year and not have him traded. So they are gonna go sit with him and here's how the meeting's gonna go. First, Steve Cohn will be in the room, aware that the meeting's gonna happen. Steve Cohn is gonna have an earpiece in an IFB like I do, right there in his ear. On the other side is not gonna be Coca, it's gonna be David Stearns. Not Billy Epler, but David Stearns. Meanwhile, players like Francisco Lindor, whoever you expect or you'd want to go into that meeting, doesn't matter who it is, are gonna walk in and they're gonna have an earpiece and behind the player's ear will not be Matthew Coca. It will be Pete Alonso. So those are the players in this play, so get ready. It starts as all meetings do with going up to the assistant to Steve Cohn and saying, is he available? Well, as a matter of fact, you're only 20 minutes late to your scheduled time, but he is available, you can go right in. Doors closed, you always do a knock even when you're told to go right in, you do a knock and an enter. You don't do a knock and wait for the door to be open for you because ostensibly the person you're meeting with is behind a desk. So when you've gotten permission from the gatekeeper, it's a knock and a twist and you're in. If no gatekeeper 
and it's your appointed time for a meeting. It's a knock and a wait for the door to be answered, but only after seven minutes of waiting for the person who you're meeting with to answer the door. Seven minutes is a reasonable amount of time after the time of your meeting to actually knock on the door and see what the delay is. So knock on the door, enter in. Gentlemen, how are you? Steve, you know, I just want to again reiterate, thank you so much for all of your great support. This has really been a tough year. And I'm, I understand when you had to meet the media and say that it's really on the players because I get that. And it really was on the players, but um, don't forget to, don't forget to mention that you shouldn't have traded Scherzer and, and Robertson. And what we really feel is though, is you gave up too fast because we were right there. We really had the feeling that we were gonna do it. And the glue to our team was the fact that we were together and we were led by Pete. Well, thank you, that's, that's good to hear. But I gotta tell you, I'm hearing from my baseball people and they, I let them do their job. Well, don't forget to tell them that you said changes were gonna be made and you're still looking for a president of baseball operations to run it. I, I've let people do their job but of course we're trying to do better and get better people doing that job, which means the job that the people did who actually are here now has not been a really good job. No, no, don't say that because then the players are gonna say that, why did you trade everyone on their suggestion if they're not doing a good job? Oh, what I mean to say boys, is that as owner of this team, I try to do what I think is right, taking information from baseball people, taking information from others who call, from things I read, and I believed that we were actually not in the race, even though you thought we were. Yes, I hear you, Mr. Cohn. No, no, call me Steve. No, I mean, David, I mean, Billy. No, no, call me Steve. But what I really want to say is that in order for us to be good next year, and I hope you're not gonna throw away a year because we have a chance. Look at the National League East. Who do they have? It's not like there's good teams in that division. Um, make sure you don't mention the Braves or mention the Phillies or mention the pitching rotation of the Marlins, okay? Oh, no, I'm just saying that, I, be quiet. I'm just saying that the National League East is not good and we have a chance. So, Steve, do me this one favor if you don't mind. You got to keep Pete. And I think you should sign him to a long-term deal because I'm here and I'm committed to this team. I'm Francisco Lindor and I'm committed to this team. And I don't think Pete's going to need 10 years at 340, uh, um, Francisco. Y yes, I am. So just say that I'll take what you have to do a Scherzer Verlander. Do you mind doing that? I think that if you offered Pete what you paid me and look at what he hits for power and, and not average, and every year he's there and he's the glue of the clubhouse, all he needs is just me. I don't want him to get paid more than I, but he deserves what I'm getting. All right, good job, Francisco. Well, listen, Mr. Lindor, I gotta tell you, I really am gonna have to speak to my new president of baseball operations to the extent that I can hire him. Steve, we have a signed deal. I'm already hired. You can tell him that who's coming in, but don't tell him it's me, but just say we're someone's ready. Francisco, we have someone coming in who I think you're really gonna realize is good at the job and is going to have full autonomy. Um, Steve, do you mean that? Can you, that wasn't in the contract. I'm gonna have full autonomy to do whatever I want. You're not gonna meddle at all. This is amazing. I don't even need to be in on this meeting. You could take me out of your ear if you're giving me full autonomy. Well, that's not what I exactly mean, David, but you know what I mean. There's owner's prerogative. Can I get back to Lindor? Y yes, sir, Steve. So Francisco, 
thank you so much for coming in, but I need to wait. I need to wait. We're going to look at a one-year deal and we may do some negotiating about a long-term deal. But to me, it's important to look at the entire picture, look at all the players who are available and then figure out how to allocate the money. But you know, I'm going to spend money. Steve, do you mean that there's a chance we could make a bid for Otani and it would be Otani instead of Alonzo? Then definitely get Otani. Francisco, what are you doing? I want to be a Met. Don't tell him to get Otani because he can't have you, me, and Otani. Boom, earpiece out. Lindor doesn't have his earpiece. He says to Steve Cohn, I love Pete Alonzo, but if you can do better than that, then I expect you to. Steve Cohn, boom, earpiece is out. That guy, David Stearns, thinks he's going to do everything with full autonomy. Listen here, do your job, Lindor. And for the rest of the Mets who want to come in and tell me about how great Pete Alonzo is, not interested. So where does it all end? They say goodbye after 14 minutes. They look at each other, they shake hands, and they say, see at the next, see in the next life, Jack. I'll tell you where this ends. And I'm gonna tell you where it ends officially. Wait to see. Pete Alonso's not being traded this offseason. Don't be ridiculous. That is an official wait to see. I wouldn't mind giving you an official wait to see about Wander Franco. But every time I think that it can't get worse for him, it does. Word came out yesterday through Jeff uh, Passan at ESPN that there is another investigation going on in the Dominican. The special prosecution that has been tapped to figure out what is going on and what he did and to who, when and where. And now there is a second formal complaint and a formal investigation about another minor. This keeps getting worse for the Tampa Bay Rays. When you have a special prosecutor investigating claims in the Dominican, and then you have the league leak out to all of these papers and members of the media, that MLB's investigation into Wander Franco, they wanna wait until the Dominican investigation's over. You know there's a problem, and here's why. We never wanted to wait for the Dominican to do anything because they do everything slowly. And we as an industry, they as an industry, there's another doll hair. They as an industry get to do everything quite a bit faster. The Department of Investigations at MLB actually has more resources, not the subpoena power that the Dominican may have, but more resources and a desire to get it done as quickly as possible. Not before the end of October, as I told you, but as quickly as possible after October is when an announcement would be had. But when I told you that MLB was not going to do anything with Wander Franco until after the World Series is over, what I didn't say, and you know my words are purposeful, you know the amount of preparation we do to look unprepared without a script, which is what we do without a net every day. I purposefully said that because MLB can finish its investigation, know exactly what it wants to do with Franco, start to negotiate with the union all before the postseason ends, but nothing will ever be formalized or announced or leaked before the postseason ends. And this is the one area where the union and management are actually aligned. The union doesn't want anything taken away from the postseason. Because the truth is, the more attention that's on the postseason and the players on the postseason, the more opportunity there is to be heroes like a Beltran, like a Pena last year. Heroes who can then get paid, whether it's an arbitration or a free agency. 
So you want focus. If you're the union, you want focus if you are management. So they're in agreement, which is why nothing will happen with Franco. The problem is MLB leaking or having it known that they're waiting for Dominican to finish. That could take forever and a day. Remember how long it took for LA to figure out or whoever was investigating Bauer, whether they were gonna file criminal charges against him? That was in the US and that took forever and a day. Baseball cannot, as a favor to Tampa, and they will not let this linger until spring training. You have to figure out what you're doing with your team if you're the Rays. And more importantly, the Rays who dedicated 11 years, $182 million to Wander Franco, if they know that they do not have Franco, who's still their best player, even though he hasn't played since August 12th and will not pay, play the rest of the year. But if you know that money's off the books, then you're looking at tying up other younger players you have because there's only so many players you are going to do that to. There's only so many risks you are going to take. It's not like Atlanta who has the ability to take risk on 10 players. The Rays won't do that. Therefore, it is in the best interest of the Rays and how they operate to have information as quickly as they can about Wander Franco's future. And baseball is highly incentivized to give the Rays an indication because baseball loves the Rays and how they operate their team. They're not doing any favors for the Padres or the Mets or the Yankees or the White Sox or any other owners who voted against Rob in the first round of commissioners voting back in 2014. I'm not talking about that, but I could. But doing favors for teams who win with low payrolls, hell yeah. So I'm not sure exactly what'll end up happening to Wander Franco because every day something new comes up but if the allegations are true and he had underage, inappropriate relationships with underage girls, which is a crime in the Dominican because under 18, you are not allowed to give consent. Doesn't matter if they're dating, best friends, whatever the case is, it is a crime. Is it a jailable offense? I do not think Wander Franco will be serving jail time. Is it enough of a offense to have a long suspension, like a year, it very well could be. But the question of whether it's enough to terminate the contract for cause is something totally different. Because remember the Dodgers who had to pay Bauer while he was on administrative leave, the Rays are paying Franco, but Trevor Bauer made a hell of a lot more money like 30 million a year versus Franco, who's in the early part of his contract, young player, making a million or two a year. And then when the Dodgers chose to release Bauer because they wiped him clean of the retail store, of any promotion about Bauer, once his suspension had been served, they released him. Remember when they pretended to meet with him, they weren't gonna release him and they did release him and no one claimed him. And now he's pitching in Japan. It's a bit more complicated with Franco because if you release Franco, it is not impossible that another team is going to give him a chance because I can see and I can spin a press conference where I'm signing Wander Franco as an older, more mature person who acknowledges what he did, his culpability, 
and I believe there is more forgiveness for a girlfriend who's 17. And don't cancel me over this. Don't say, I can't believe you're saying this. I'm not giving you levels of crime. I am giving you how I think owners think, how I think GMs think. They think about the introductory press conference. They think about what the media will be when you sign a player. What Trevor Bauer was accused of doing, there's not one owner, president, GM who could get in front of a microphone and explain signing him. It wasn't collusion. It was lack of understanding of what they could possibly say to sign Trevor Bauer, who was just poisonous in every way. Wander Franco may not be in the same boat. We're gonna wait, we're gonna see, but nothing official quite yet. Okay, when we come back, I finally watched Coca's favorite movie. It's old, but I watched it. And then we're gonna talk about what happened at Barstool yesterday because it is fascinating how many people did not understand how Dave Portnoy came back into power at Barstool and what it actually meant to be back in power. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Goat guns are goat. Our miniature gun models will make you the center point of attention. Display them at your office desk, bookshelf, or man cave. Collect and customize goat guns to your own liking. Each goat gun model has intricate parts that snap together to assemble. Start your next hobby addiction at goatguns.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How are you? Matthew Coke and I, every day, live, Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. You can find us on our website, davidsampsonpodcast.com. Thank you for contacting me and for buying merchandise. We appreciate it. I love, I got more photos yesterday. Keep sending photos. I think it's quite cool. People who I don't even know who they are, but buy merchandise, and I appreciate that. So I still watch a movie every day and Coca has asked me numerous times to watch John Wick 4. During COVID, prior to COVID, I'd never seen any of the John Wicks. I watched one, two, and three during COVID and I found it to be entertaining, but I wasn't sure whether it was Tiger King Last Dance entertaining or whether it was MASH Three's Company entertaining. I didn't know whether it would stand the test of not COVID. So I turn on John Wick 4, it's two hours and 49 minutes of non-stop killing karate, martial arts, blood, guns, action. 
after the movie, I said to Coco, what in the name of hockey sticks is going on here? He said, David, it's like a video game. It's the most action I've ever seen in a movie. And what a great plot. Here's the plot. Will he get to the church on time? Of course he's gonna get to the church on time. Everybody, church on time makes me happy. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And you know when, cause he's gotta get there by sunrise. So he gets there by sunrise and then they do like a Western duel. By the way, is the guy who plays the really bad guy brothers of Stellan Skarsgård or is that his son? The one who's married to Maggie Gyllenhaal? They've, I, I, I don't wanna say they're related. It may be like Goldberg. Maybe they're not related in any way but I have a feeling they are. That said, Keanu Reeves, who I think of with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I think of him with Parenthood. I think of him as the Matrix. He is a full on Tom Cruise level action, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, Jackie Chan. There's a chance that Keanu Reeves is better than all of them. And that blows my mind. The first time producer, a uh, director, who's directed all four John Wicks, former stunt coordinator, he conducted a ballet. So for two hours and 49 minutes over two sittings, I viewed it like a limited series. I did it over two sittings. I watched it and I was in awe, absolute awe, not because of the script. The script must have been 30 pages long. I was in awe at Keanu Reeves. I was in awe at the stunt performers. I was in awe at the direction. I was in awe at the absolute violence. We can't have people see breasts, but don't worry. People being shot in the head and sliced and diced, no problem. For the life of me, I can't figure that out. Tasteful nudity, no way. Guns, bring it on. Maybe it's just me. John Wick 4. We do our show, as you know, without any prompter. I have a rundown in front of me, and it's just a list of topics with an idea of how many minutes I'll speak about it. Coke and I do preparations all throughout the day. We do a final prep call at night and then another one in the morning before the show, and then the show starts. This is how we release it. It's not edited. There's no post-production. All of what you hear in podcasts, sorry, that's not fair. Much of what you hear is edited. There's post-production. People want perfect. Not me. I'm not perfect. When I make mistakes, tell me. I'll correct it. Yesterday was a tough one for me, though, but you all got to me. I love Milwaukee. And how in the name of, oh my God, am I that old? Did I say what they're eating in Milwaukee are cottage curds? What the hell are cottage curds? They're cheese curds. I'm sorry. Makes me absolutely despondent beyond repair that I made that mistake. So for the 6.9% of you in Wisconsin, Thank you for all of you bringing it up saying, I wonder whether I'm the first person to bring up that it ain't cottage curds. I apologize. All right, 
Dave Portnoy had a great quote yesterday that I really did enjoy, that he absolutely hates firing people, even when they're bad at their job. My quote is, I love firing people when they're bad at their job. I don't like firing people who are good at their job. That's called layoffs. Firing people bad at their job is called making your company better. I don't like layoffs. I do not like saving the company at the expense of the individual, even though you have to. I don't like layoffs of people who know what they're doing are additive to your company, but you simply either they're duplicative, duplicative or you just have to cut payroll, however you do it. Those firings I don't like. It was announced yesterday that Barstool is going to lay off nearly 25% of its employees. 25%. When you have a 400 person operation, that means you're firing a hundred people. There's rumors, you don't know for sure, but the Barstool has 430 people. Let's just call it 400, let's say 25%. That means hundred people are going to be terminated. Here's the misunderstanding surrounding this that I want to please be clear. The deal where Dave Portnoy got back Barstool, do you remember he sold it to Penn Gaming? And we went through that whole situation when Penn partnered up with ESPN and started ESPN Bet and got rid of Barstool as their gaming partner. And as part of that, sold Barstool back to Portnoy. Remember when Penn was in charge and they were firing Portnoy's employees for not being representative of what Penn wanted? Or they were possibly, possibly going to hurt Penn's opportunity to get gambling licenses over the country? And Portnoy said, I want my company back. And Penn said, no problem. Here's the cost for you to get your company back. Zero. And everyone said, wow, what a magical deal for Dave Portnoy. And I told you, hey, listen, not only did Penn get rid of Barstool and team up with ESPN, which is better on all fronts, Penn got a carried interest in Barstool in case Portnoy ever flips it. Penn remains a 50% preferred equity holder, if you will, meaning they get 50% of any acquisition price. In addition to non-competes and various other things they got. But the most important thing that Penn got is that they don't have to write checks for the losses of Barstool anymore. Barstool loses money every single year. There are rumors and thoughts that Penn lost around $800 million in the years it owned Barstool. And guess who paid for that? Not Dave Portnoy. If Barstool loses money this coming year, guess who pays the losses? Dave Portnoy. Guess who doesn't want to lose money running Barstool? Dave Portnoy. Guess what you have to do in order to not lose money? You have to cut your expenses or raise your revenue, or both. Part of the great deal that Portnoy got is that he may have paid nothing for it. It's the equivalent of someone giving you a car and you're saying to yourself wow this is so cool you gave me a car thank you so much and then they walk away and then you realize well oprah are you going to help pay for my taxes on this gift of a car um no are you going to pay for the insurance no are you going to pay for the gas and the service no well crikey 
You didn't give me a car, you gave me a liability. Now, granted, I can drive around saying I got a car from Oprah, but wow, I got to spend money, my own money. I don't have that sort of open free cash flow. That's the equivalent here. Dave Portnoy now took over the operation of Barstool, took over the losses, and now has to pay the losses. So he had to come out and say yesterday, I've been very clear. Anyone that's paid attention, it's who. We are going to have layoffs and cuts and they've started and it sucks. He said it. He knew there were gonna be losses. So what does that mean for the future of Barstool? That means that Dave Portnoy is going to continue to have a platform. He's gonna to continue to have the platform that he wants with people on it who he wants, saying the things that he wants. Creating chaos, disruption, great, no problem. Reviewing pizzas, I'm in. Having good content, fine. But much like other companies like The Athletic, purchased by The New York Times and all of a sudden layoffs galore because The Athletic continues to lose money, eventually, no matter how great a product is, no matter how much you love engaging with it, no matter how much you love owning it, if you can't make it work financially, it goes away. The only scenario under which Barstool and Dave Portnoy will be able to stick to his word, which is I will never sell. Sorry, Penn, you're not getting 50% of anything. It's gonna be in my family forever. Never say never, never say forever. As my mother likes to say, forever's a long time. You're damn right it is. Eventually, Portnoy's gonna get tired of losses, and if the budget isn't balanced, he may shut it down. He may suck it up and give Penn 50% of a proceed of a capital infusion of another sale because there may be someone else out there who thinks that they can attach themselves to Barstool and rise up their own media status, use Barstool as a stepping stone, as a tool, and think that Penn got it wrong, but this new company will get it right. They'll figure out how to partner with someone who doesn't like having partners. Trust me, when someone doesn't like having partners, it doesn't get better over time, it gets worse as they get older, not better. Portnoy and Barstool not being good partners to Penn, that is a leading indicator to how they would be to another potential acquirer. Especially if he says he's never gonna sell, in which case you better balance the budget there, Dave. Now I'm not trying to make light of the 100 people who are about to lose their job. I'm just trying to teach you a lesson that when you think something's too good to be true and you read an article and you're jealous of what people are getting or the deals they're making and how rich they are, Things are not always as they seem. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are H-O triple T. Did you watch Framber Valdez beat the Red Sox? Sweep the Red Sox? We're now, are, we gotta be a season high five over 500, Coca. I don't know that we've ever been, one, we're 121 and 116. I was gonna say we've never been 121 and 116. That's true. This year we never have until today. I'm not convinced we've ever been five over. I feel like we've been climbing out of the hole of our record the entire year, but here we are ending August. We still have a third of the year left and we're 121 and 116. Starting tonight is a huge four game series in baseball. If you have time to watch a game before college football starts, 
And yes, you will be getting my first college pick of the season tomorrow when we give the weekend picks. Hold on, Coca. One second. Let me just press a button here. DraftKings. It's the personal, nothing personal pick of the day. Brought to you by nothing personal pick of the day. Thank you, Coca. All right. Just keep that in, but then do one just for our audience that's like this. Ready? 4869. Nothing personal pick of the day. We are 121 and 116. You have a great four game series ahead of you if you want to watch game one Dodgers, Braves. Why is this so great? Couple reasons. Last day of August is today. The Braves have basically set a record. They've won 24 games this month. That's the third most ever in their calendar history. Meaning all the months that the Dodgers have played from April until October, only twice more was there any month ever where they won more than 24 games. Secondly, the last team since 1961 to win 24 games in August were the Oakland A's in 2002. So for those of you thinking the Oakland A's were never competitive, guess what? It was only 21 years ago in 2002 that they had that kind of August. The Dodgers are only four games back of the Braves for best record in baseball. Best record matters because the All-Star game didn't count. Best record matters because they don't switch off between American League and National League. Best record matters because if you make it to the World Series, you host. If you make it to the LCS, you host. The Dodgers need to sweep to catch the Braves. Not going to happen. That said, it's gonna be a fun series to watch. So for the first game, we've got Lance Lynn against Spencer Strider. Strider could very easily, easily win the MVP. Uh, strike that, damn it. 12.89. Strider could easily win the Cy Young. And he's going against Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn was a trade deadline acquisition by the brilliant Andrew Friedman. Lance Lynn, who was absolutely horrific with the pale hose, has been unhittable with the Dodgers. He's given up a couple runs, mediocre start, one of them, but overall, outstanding. Don't think about the old Lance Lynn, think about the Dodgers Lance Lynn. Spider attack? I don't think so. Foreign substances? Maybe, but everyone does. Better pitching coach? Maybe just really likes to be part of a pennant chase. All I know is betting on Lance Lynn and the Dodgers at home in a plus situation, that doesn't happen much. I guess it can only happen against the Braves and Strider, but we're taking the Dodgers and we're taking the plus 20 in game one of this pretty cool four game series. Okay, NFL season is starting soon, September 7th. We are a week away from opening night of Thursday night football in the NFL. Otherwise known as a horrific day for every president of a baseball team. A team that I'm looking at and a situation that I'm following is the Jonathan Taylor situation, the running back for the Indianapolis Colts, who are owned by Jim Ursay, who's gotten a lot of airtime on our show. Jim Ursay is the one who would talk about Daniel Snyder and about whether or not there were enough votes to get rid of him. Jim Ursay is the one who spends a lot of money 
on a lot of things, some of which can last a long time, some of which only last three to six hours. The Colts are a team that have a GM named Chris Ballard, where there is some question as to whether or not Chris Ballard, the GM, has any say at all. The Indianapolis Colts are the team that fired their coach last year and hired the ESPN guy, Jeff Saturday. Remember that? They've got another new coach, same GM, and they have a problem this year with their running back, Jonathan Taylor, who was on the physically unable to perform list, physically unable to perform list. He will miss the first four games of the season and it's all over a contract dispute. He's not physically unable to perform. Come on, give me a break. Oh, he just had surgery. He may not be ready. He was not gonna miss one quarter of NFL season. He is angry about his contract because he's in the fourth year of a rookie deal and he wants an extension. Is that really enough to merit a holdout? In the NFL, there are players who think it is. Jim Irsay is completely right and completely fine in his view of what he's doing with Jonathan Taylor. There is nothing wrong with telling a player to play. If we sign you to a long-term deal, we will. If we don't, we won't. That's the rules of the game. That doesn't make me pro-management and anti-player. Those are the rules of the game. But what I don't get if you're the owner and you're meddlesome, you name a starting quarterback who was drafted this year, guy named Anthony Richardson, fourth pick in the draft, and they're starting him, not the veteran Gardner Minishu, but the rookie. And you know from your days of loving the Packers that Aaron Rodgers sat, Jordan Love sat, Brett Favre sat, Tom Brady sat. It is hard to come in year one and be good. There are exceptions, don't get me wrong, but it's hard. One of the things you try to do when you have a new quarterback, who also is sort of an option quarterback, he can both run and pass, wouldn't it be good on the option to have one of the best running backs in football right there with him? How can you say that you're doing things in the best interest of your team and of your new quarterback, who you hope is your franchise quarterback, and not deal with Jonathan Taylor. He wanted to get traded. His agent had a chance to find a trade. The Colts were not satisfied with whatever trades Taylor found. I've always found that humorous. Taylor doesn't find trades that the Colts' Chris Ballard can't find himself. Oh, I didn't think to call the Packers. I mean, give me a break, would you? But, the Colts want a first round pick for him. No one's gonna offer a first round pick for Taylor because running backs are not as valued or you're only getting them for a year, whatever the case may be, doesn't matter. As a team, you have the right to assign a value to your player. And if another team doesn't hit that bid, then guess what? That's the end. It's actually called hitting the ask because you ask for something and then people bid to get it. And if the bids don't hit the mark, hit the ask, no trade. That's it, Taylor wasn't traded. But if you're Jim Irsay, why aren't you trying to make sure that you went through this process, but at the end of the day, either Taylor was gone and therefore there's no distraction and your fans or your quarterback or your players or your new head coach don't have an excuse to say, wow, would have been better if Taylor were around. When a player gets traded, you really don't say that. When a player's holding out and not playing or on the pup list, physically unable to perform, that makes me sound like I'm an NFL guy. 
which our research has told us. If you can be an NFL guy, even 20% of the time, you're gonna grow your show. That's nine minutes of a, of a show. Nine minutes devoted to Jim Ursay. Not this time. I'll give him six though. I just don't follow what they're doing. And it makes me wonder whether they actually know what they're doing because those decisions don't match. The other thing Jim Ursay has to deal with is a GM who hates him. It is rare for a GM to say something in the media against their owner. It is a unicorn for an existing employee to actually say something not by inference. Ballard did not take the microphone and say Jim Mercey is a tool. Jim Mercey is a meddling maggot. No. Instead, Ballard, when asked about, by the athletic actually, the aforementioned athletic, was asked about Taylor and what's going on. He said, you pay great players. So the athletic James Boyd said, well, why not pay Taylor? He's a great player. And Ballard said, we won four games last year. We won four games. O-M-G. Who do you think he's talking to there? He's talking to Jim Irsay. Ballard didn't want Jeff Saturday as the coach last year. Didn't want Frank Reich to be fired. Ballard didn't want Taylor to hold out. He wanted Taylor signed. That's pretty passive aggressive towards your owner, Mr. Ballard. And he's going to notice because he notices these things. Ballard, as part of this, continued to say a misdirection to try to make himself maybe better in the eyes of Jimmy Ursay. He said, I'm not going to sit here and give you a rosy picture. It sucks. It sucks for the Colts. It sucks for Jonathan Taylor. It sucks for our fans. It's where we're at, and we've got to work through it. Oy. So if you're a GM and you've got a situation like this, you have to have a slightly different response. You have to toe the company line. No matter what you're doing and saying behind the scenes, you've got to get in front of the microphone and say, listen, we have given Jonathan Taylor every opportunity to be on the field with us this season. We even gave him an opportunity to be on the field with someone else this season. There is no way, taking a page from Daryl Morey's playbook, there is no way that we are going to take less than what we believe is fair value for Jonathan Taylor in a trade. You shouldn't want us to do that. Therefore, we are going down the path that we feel is in the best interest of our team going forward making sure that we treat players alike, making sure that players understand what it is to be part of a team, the responsibility they should feel. Am I disappointed that Jonathan Taylor is not gonna be there to help Anthony Richardson in game one of this upcoming season? Of course I am, but I'm gonna continue to work every single day to find a solution to this so that you, the fans, get what you deserve, which is winning football, and a Super Bowl ring in Indianapolis. And the reason why is because it's just business. This is nothing personal.